Thank you, Jesus. What a reminder, Lord. Thank you for that timely reminder today, Lord, not only because it's New Year, but God, because we need to be reminded of that all the time, Lord. You're writing my story. And that just gives me so much confidence because I know that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. Oh, Father, I thank you that your plans for me are that I should prosper, that harm should not come upon me, Lord God. I'm so thankful that the one who writes my story, oh, God, desires to do great things in me and through me. Father, I pray that my life would bring glory to your name. I pray that this church would bring glory to your name, Father God. As you write our story, God, let us be reminded that you're the main character. And it's not about us, but you allow us to be a part of your story. And we just thank you for that. I pray this church would rest in that peace and also just awaken Awaken to new life. Awaken the the spirit within. God, awaken the things that have fallen asleep within us. Father, we thank you. We give you your praise. I pray that you would open up our hearts to receive your word today. That we would be not just inspired, but transformed. And just like the calendar is starting over and things are anew, God, I pray that you would make us new that you would renew our passion, you would renew our joy, you would renew our faith and our hope, you would renew our commitment to you. Thank you, Jesus. We give you praise. And everybody said, amen. Let's, uh, let's thank our worship team this morning for leading us into God's presence. God is so good. Um, starting a new series today, starting the new year off with a new series, and I'm excited to share it with you, but before I do, I need a helper, and so I was wondering if I could ask my friend Jeff, do you mind coming on stage, man? I didn't tell him about this, so give him a hand clap and encourage him for helping me out. All right, I'm going to give you the easiest job in the world, okay? I just want you to hold one end of this rope, okay? And you guys are, you guys are getting really familiar with this rope, aren't you? I keep busting out the rope because I keep finding different uses for it and say, so right now we're just going to, yeah, we'll pull it kind of taut right there, all right? And I just want you to hold on to it for a little bit while I talk, okay? And actually, let's bring you over so it's easy to catch you in the camera frame. Is he good, Don? <laughs> all right, Awesome. Now listen, so today is the new year, right? And if you didn't hear me say it earlier, happy new year. And the new year represents uh, so many things for so many people. And you might expect me to come up here and talk about uh, resolutions. And uh, to some extent, I might sort of hit on that. But what I want to talk about when it comes to resolutions is something that I was reminded of recently is that Um, New Year's resolutions are born out of a year's worth of regrets. Think about that. When we come to a point where we make a resolution, it's because we took a good hard look at our life and we realized that something happened that we don't like. And we rarely see it happening slowly. 
You know, it doesn't, it's, it's not like all of a sudden we woke up one morning and we were fat, right? Or we woke up one morning and we were just a jerk to everybody. We're a hor- horrible co-worker. But what happens is that over time, we become a little lax with our disciplines and maybe we, we don't exercise as much. Maybe we start to uh, eat differently or what have you. And so we become a little bit lax with it. And then when it comes to spiritual things, maybe we weren't as disciplined in our spiritual disciplines and things like that. But what happens is even though it's a slow fade, it's like the realization hits us often all at once and it's a shocker and it wakes us up and it leads us to making these promises that we can't keep right and it goes out and we spend um, you know $80 on a startup fee at a gym and we come one time and we don't go again for the rest of the year and finally we cancel it because we're sick of throwing away our money But it rarely happens all at once. But what happens is we slowly start to get slack and and, uh, we don't hold tightly to the things that God has given us. And then what just happened there? Yeah, see, you didn't expect me to do that, did you? And so I'm guessing, I don't know how tight you held on to it when I first gave it to you. Maybe you thought we were going to play tug of war, and so you kind of got a good grip on it. But as I started to talk, he got more relaxed. The first thing I said to you was that you got a really easy job. All you got to do is hold this, right? And so maybe that even affected his attitude about it. He's just like, okay, cool. I'm just going to casually hold this rope. But as a result, as you notice that the, I get, put some slack in the rope, And I think that maybe that might have triggered something in your subconscious that you loosened up your grip a little bit because I wasn't pulling on it at all until suddenly, yank, we realize that what we had held on to has been taken away from us and we've completely lost our grip. Let's give it up for Jeff and thank him for helping us out this morning. See, the longer you carry something, the easier it can be to get comfortable and loosen your grip. And this tendency affects every aspect of our life, including our relationship with, our passion for, and our commitment to Jesus. And so most of us have at least had a season in our life where we, and hopefully you're still in this season, but we, how many of you will be honest and say you've had your ups and downs when it comes to your relationship with Jesus? But we, all of us have at least, if we've come to, to, to the faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ, then there's been a time in our life where we would consider ourselves on fire for God. But as time goes by, it's easy for us to lose focus and get distracted, whether it's by just the cares of this world and the stressors that come with it, um, or maybe we even get tangled up in sin. Maybe we begin to neglect our prayer life, and uh, maybe we start to watch and listen to things that start to desensitize us that are not good for our soul. Eventually, we begin to lose motivation spiritually. Then we may even distance ourselves from church and we go from three times a month to once every other month. And finally, before we know it, we've fallen asleep when it comes to our spiritual walk. And so I want to discuss this question at our tables this morning. What are some ways, you're going to have to really take some time to take a good hard look at within And that's something that I believe God wants to do with us as individuals and as a church. Stop and reflect. And let's look where we are. And let's look at places maybe where we've fallen asleep. And so at your tables, what are some ways that you've drifted away? 
or fallen asleep spiritually? And how can you awaken those things in your life again? Okay, we're going to discuss this at our tables, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to share with you what I believe is a word God has put upon my heart for this church. So let's discuss. Amen. Amen. Great discussion happening at my table. I'm sure some great discussions are happening at your table as well. All right, so this, you know, I know I'm in a habit of asking you some really deep, reflective questions. I was just, just had lunch with Jeff, which is why I made him come up on stage today. We were talking about that, how, you know, it's difficult to process questions this deep in such a short amount of time. But I, I just appreciate everything that you guys bring to these discussions and know that what you share just has a great impact at those that are sitting around your table. But it's so easy for us to fall asleep, to just go into a slump and, and go through the routine. And what I felt like God has put up on my heart today is to show me that in many ways as a church and as individuals, we're sleepwalking through life. We're sleepwalking uh, through our relationship with God. And it's, it's like there's this, uh, this desire inside all of us to just reach a point to where our relationship with Jesus is just a turnkey operation. You know, it's like owning a self-serve car wash, right? You just make sure that uh, the soap stays uh, stocked and, um, and people put, put in money and they do the work themselves. And, and we kind of take that approach to our relationship with God. And so I was literally um, up at night tice, uh, tossing and turning and could not sleep because I was having this dream kind of in and out of consciousness where I was either preaching a sermon or, or having a meeting with the church. And I know one thing, I was remembering um, that the elders were there. <laughs> and, and, and I was talking, and, and I was just kind of um, going through this concept about, hey, look, God has put it upon my heart that, that 2023 is going to be a crucial year for us. And I fear that we're sleepwalking and we need to wake up and we need to, we need to snap out of it. And this phrase came to my mind, it's time to circle the wagons. And as soon as I said that in my dream, I woke up. And with a sense of urgency, I got my phone out right away and I, I started to write down what I had dreamed and the message I'm giving you today is based on what I received in this dream. It's time to circle the wagons. As I begin to think of that term, it brought back memories from my childhood because I was brought up by a man who loved his cowboy and Indian Western movies, right? And, uh, and so he would uh, watch TV Land and all these other channels, right, that would show these old uh, Westerns. And there's a familiar scene that takes place in many of these movies where there's a caravan of wagons traveling uh, to, to find new land, I guess, and, and they're just kind of casually uh, bouncing along on this bumpy trail, and they go through a canyon completely oblivious to the fact that there is an enemy lurking in the canyons, hiding, until finally someone is struck with an arrow. And what results is chaos. People are screaming, shouting, and, and running around not knowing what to do until finally somebody stands up and they yell, circle the wagons. 
And of course, they literally circle the wagons, right? They create a circle and a barrier. They have to come together. They have to rally. Um, and they put their women and children inside and they protect them. And then they finally put themselves into a position behind the wagons that they're able to return the fire. This is what I believe we have to do. We need to circle the wagons. We need to have a wake-up call as we move forward because um, there is too much at stake for us to sleepwalk into 2023. Because what's happening is God is calling us this year, I believe, to cross into enemy territory. God is calling us to take ground. And I'm not trying to be insensitive about you know, some of the atrocities that might have happened during that time. I'm simply using this as an illustration. But God is calling us to take new ground. And in order to do that, we have to remember that we're in a fight. We have to remember that we're in a war. And when you're in a war, you don't approach it sleepwalking. You don't willy-nilly grab your gun and, and load it and forget to put on your armor. You don't forget to bring your extra ammo because you know that there's so much at stake. And I believe that there's so much at stake for us. And God wants to do some great things in our church this year. And so what has happened, though, for many of us is that maybe the last couple of years has been a grind for us. Maybe within the church, maybe it's personal, maybe it's family, and we found ourselves slipping away into this sleepwalking state, and God says it's time to circle the wagons. So I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we open up God's Word. If you have an actual Bible, I want you to grab it. And we're going to be in Revelations chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It's just so simply, simply those three verses. And we're going to make our faith statement this morning to remind our souls of what it is that we're about to hear and who it comes from and the authority that it has over our lives, okay? So if you would read this along with me, ready? This is my Bible. It is God's word. When I read it and live it, I will become everything it says that I am. Just remain standing for a few more moments as we read these first three verses of Revelation chapter 3. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive. But you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. And I want to pray verse 6 over us right now. Father, let anyone with ears to hear listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Open up our ears to receive what you're saying to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, what I'd like to do over the next six weeks after this 
is go through these seven letters written to uh, the seven churches here in the book of Revelations, but we're starting today with the church of Sardis. We're not going in order of the way it was written in Scripture because I believe what it, where it starts with us is that it's time to wake up, that our first step to circling the wagons is waking up to the war. And so when you study this, what we're going to find is that chapters 2 and 3 are letters to churches that serve as a rallying cry, a circling of the wagons, uh, to get back on track and then to stay on track. And so today, the challenge for us today is simple, to wake up. Now in verse 1, he opens up by saying, the one who has the seven Fold Spirit of God and the seven stars. First of all, let me quickly say that the sevenfold Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. Okay? And each time he introduces himself to these churches, he introduces himself in a different way because there's a point he's trying to make. And so the way he introduces himself is going to be very relevant to what he says. Understand? We have to receive what he says from that angle. And so he's, he's, he's making a point emphasizing the Holy Spirit. And we'll see a connection when we talk about a church that is either dead or is alive. And the seven stars represent seven churches. Okay? And so it's talking about the churches. And so the Spirit of God is the only one that can give true life to a church. Amen? I mean, it doesn't matter how great the sermons are, how great the worship is, how much outreach you do. It doesn't matter if you're a big church or a small church, uh, whether your church has a lot of money or very little money. All that matters is that we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, that our ears are open to His voice, and that He's moving among us. And as much effort as we might put into our programs... We must put even more effort into making sure that this church is full of his spirit. And that goes for you as an individual. As much effort as you put into doing the work of God, as much effort as you put into and you invest in your family, you've got to make sure that you're investing in your personal time with God to make sure that you are always full of the Holy Spirit so that you parent out of an overflow, so that you serve the church out of an overflow. The time of you serving off of your fumes is over. You need to leave that behind because God is more than enough as we sing this morning. So I want to I give you this morning five steps to waking up from spiritual death. Five steps to wake up that's given to us here in these three verses. Number one is this, be willing to hear the hard truth. Sometimes the truth hurts. Who's heard that statement before? Sometimes exactly what you need to hear hurts the most. Sometimes it makes you want to slap the person in the face that told it to you. But it was exactly what you needed to hear. And, and the word comes from Jesus here. And he opens up by saying, I know. I know all the things you do. I know. I want us to consider that the one who's speaking is the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our innermost thoughts he knows the things that we would be ashamed if anyone else ever knew. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. 
And the first step to waking up is to truly listen to the truth that comes from the Spirit that he speaks to you. He says, I know the things you do. The things you do. What, is it, what does a church do? We, do? we do ministry, right? We do outreach. We do music, etc. We do all these things. And they probably most of those things are born out of the Spirit. But at time, they can become spiritually dead. They can just become religious acts that we just repeat and repeat. These steps that we just do over and over again. These are the things that can really get the recognition from other people, right? Look at how many people we had in our three weekend services, right? Or uh, uh, check out this moment that we had in worship, how powerful this song was. Or look at how much money we gave to the poor this year. All good things, right? And, but they can garner the attention of the multitudes and yet we can still be dead in them. It's a scary thing to consider. It's a harsh truth, but one we need to hear. Because God is saying to this church, I've seen everything you do, both the good and the bad. That's something we need to point out also. Not only does he see all the religious acts they're doing, but he sees the stuff that they keep hidden. He sees the failures in leadership he sees the lack of accountability in a church. He sees all those things. And he says, I see everything you do in the presence of the multitudes, but I'm not impressed. Why? Because I see what the crowd doesn't see. And so it is so important for us to look inward on a regular basis. He says in verse 1, you have a reputation for being alive but you're dead. A sure sign of a dead church is when it cares more about man's opinion than God's. And we, 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 part, we start to get motivated by the things that are going to be received well by everyone else. It's this concept written about in psychology called groupthink, that where we begin to make decisions um, where our primary motivating factor is just to maintain the unity and not offend. How many of you think that, that's, that our whole country is suffering from groupthink right now, right? And so it's dangerous, right? Because we refuse to listen to the hard truth. We, res we refuse to follow logic. We refuse to hear the things that challenge us, make us feel uncomfortable or insecure about ourselves. And so we make decisions based off of uh, emotions that lead to death instead of life. See, the things we do do not necessarily equal a heart that is alive in Christ. And a surefire way to fall asleep is to begin to listen to the opinions of the crowd more than we listen to the opinion of God. See, God's truth is hard to hear when you're dead. But it's the first step to waking up. God's truth is like a spiritual AED, right? You know what that is? Like a defibrillator? Right? Now they have them in malls and things like that for emergencies. And see, when a person is in cardiac arrest, I'm pretty sure they're unaware that they're in cardiac arrest. Think about that. Let that sink in. They don't know they're dead. They don't know anything. They're not thinking anything, right? Until the shock restarts their heart. 
See, God's voice is that spiritual AED. He uses truth to shock us back to life. It sure doesn't feel good to be electrocuted, but it might be exactly what we need. In Luke 6, 26, in the message version, it puts it this way. Jesus says, there's trouble ahead when you live only for the approval of others, saying what flatters them, doing what indulges them. Popularity contests are not truth contests. Look how many scoundrel preachers were approved by your ancestors. Your task is to be true, not popular. We have to be willing to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, am I true or am I too concerned about being popular? Young people, you need to ask yourself that question. Am I preoccupied with being true to who God has called me to be or am I too concerned with being popular? Because guess what? Your popularity will go out like a flame in an instant. But your relationship with Jesus is forever Eternity hangs in the balance. Don't let popularity determine the choices that you're going to make on a daily basis. God wants to set you free from that. Not only must we embrace the painful truth, but it's important that we reject the sugar-coated lies of the devil. There's a lot of lies that are being passed around uh, in so many different ways today. And we're so plugged into them. Even those of us who know the truth, we still hear the lies and we stay plugged in and we're scrolling across our screens and it's coming across the airways. And we have to learn to recognize those lies. See, the reputation represents the popular opinion. And the more you give your ear to popular culture, the more you'll start to drift asleep. What are you allowing into your eyes? What are you allowing into your ears? Because even if you don't believe what's being said, if you say something enough, it starts to feel true. It starts by just not offending you as much as it used to. And then it starts to just get accepted as, well, that's just life and that's just normal. And then the next step is, you know what? I can kind of relate. And then we're in deep trouble. He says in verse 2, wake up! It has to be how he said it, right? Because I've tried to wake up my daughter that way. Like, hey, wake up. Hey, come on. It's time to go. And then um, I come back. Ten minutes later, she's still asleep, aren't you, Emily? Right? But if I come in there, I'm like, Emily, wake up! And I start to shake her. She snaps out of it. So I think that's how. He saw this in the, in the vision. He heard God's voice and he heard, wake up! And he challenges him with this, strengthen what little remains. Number three is exercise your faith. Because how do you strengthen any muscle? Through exercise. How do you strengthen your faith? By putting it into action. I remember watching an interview of this very overweight man and he talked about his transformation and he had lost like hundreds of pounds. And so um, they showed his before and after and they asked him, how did you do it? And he said, well, it, honestly, it just started with me walking to the mailbox every day. And then I decided to walk to the mailbox twice a day. 
and then three times a day. And one thing led to another, and here I am, 150 pounds down. And they were just blown away at this man's story. That your faith is strengthened the same way. When he says strengthen what little remains, see this man, he didn't have a lot of health left. There wasn't a lot of lean muscle in his body. There was a lot of excess fat. Um, He was struggling. He was sick. He had all sorts of complications because of his weight. But what he did have was some muscle. He did have the ability to walk. He did not have the ability to run a marathon. He did not have the ability to run on a treadmill for 10 minutes. But he had the ability to walk to the mailbox. And so he chose to do that. A key step to you waking up if you're feeling spiritually dead today is to take what you do have and exercise it. Have you drifted asleep? Start praying again. Start reading the word again. Start sharing Jesus with someone again. Sing a song of worship. Start going to church every Sunday and not just once every couple of months and see what kind of difference that starts to make in your life. This morning, we started off the day, we started off the new year with prayer. Seven of us in the prayer room today, in the, in the, in the prayer closet as we call it. And God was moving in there. I'm telling you right now, what happened there this morning was even more fun than what's happening here. Because there's something about people coming together in unity and prayer, seeking the the presence of God, the face of God, the will of God, where he answers. He shows up because he says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. And that promise is for you and I today, that if you're feeling like you've drifted, you're feeling asleep, draw near to him. It starts one step at a time. Draw near to him. He will draw near to you. If he didn't think it was possible for the church in Sardis to wake up again, he would not have delivered this message. And he delivers that message to us today. Whether you're already asleep or you can tell you're on the verge of going to sleep, consider this your wake-up call. Finally, in verse 3, he says, go back to what you heard and believed at first. And actually, that term, go back, is accurately translated as just remember. Number four is this, remember what was lost. Sometimes it's good to look back at those times when you never remember being as passionate about Jesus as you were then. And it's okay to be negative and consider what you've lost and to consider how far you've fallen. Sometimes it's okay to to take an honest look in the mirror and say, I didn't used to talk to my kids like that. I didn't used to fly off the handle. I didn't used to talk to my spouse that way. Or I used to be so much more intentional in showing her that I love her. Sometimes it's healthy to look back at where we've fallen from so that we can truly embrace the remorse. He says, go back to what you heard and believed. Not just what you heard, but why you believed. Remember the passion you used to have. Remember the hunger that you used to have. Remember the hope. Remember the transformation where people said, man, you're a different person. See, we stand to lose so much when we loosen our grip. There's so much to lose. But we have to embrace the remorse because if there's no real sorrow for the past, then change is not possible. 
As the Bible says, godly sorrow leads to repentance. It's not condemnation. It's not, oh, you scum. Like, you should be ashamed to even be here today. It's, look what you lost. Remember how important that was. Now go get it back. That phrase, heard and believed, is actually translated more as the word received. Remember what you received and believed at first. The Greek word means to actively lay hold of, to take or receive, to lay hold by aggressively accepting what is available. Aggressively receiving something. Think about that. This is how this church received the gospel when they heard it for the first time. They're, 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 they were primed for this, right? They were starving for it. And when the good news of the gospel came to the church in Sardis, they received it aggressively. They're like, yes, 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 this is what I've been missing. This is what I've been longing to know and to experience for myself. I take it. I believe it. I receive it. And the result of that was real life. It didn't start in death. It started in life. It rang so true in their ears. It excited something within them. And so they aggressively took a hold of it. Can you remember what it was like when you first received salvation? Can you remember the new believer honeymoon period in your life when you just couldn't wait to tell somebody about how you gave your life to Jesus? But something happens where we forget the value of what we have and we loosen our grip. I remember one time I was at a, a youth event. It was like this uh, Christian uh, version of, um, what's it called? Ah, oh, I just forgot it. You know, the um, Woodstock, right? Like a Christian version of Woodstock, and this was a local one. And they used to host it at Castles and Coasters. And it was just a bunch of Christian rock bands just playing music all day long. And we took our youth group there and um, we took a lunch break and we would eat our lunch at the food court at Metro Mall. I don't even know if there still is a food court over there. Um, but uh, I go over there and I go in to use the restroom. And of course, I, it's, the, it's the kind of restroom that has the automatic flushing toilets, right? Who's a big fan of those? Yeah, really? There's like three of you that are a big fan of those. I don't know why. Perhaps you wish you had a bidet. Um, so I go in there and I'm like, this is a public restroom. This is disgusting. I don't really want to sit on the seat. So I get one of those little fancy seat covers and I put it in. The problem with those things in is it's got this thing that hangs down, dips in the toilet, right? So you're putting it on and it's dipping in the toilet. And then all of a sudden I move the wrong way. It flushes, sucks the seat cover down. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And so this happens three or four times till finally I start to get frustrated. I start jerking around and I had forgot that I had put my $150 sunglasses on the collar of my shirt and they went plop right in the toilet. And as disgusting as that is, uh, remembering the value of these sunglasses, I did not hesitate. I reached my hand right in and pulled them right out. Now, don't get me wrong, it was gross, and I may have spent 15 extra minutes in there washing them over and over again, and even after that, when I put them on my face, um, I was still kind of thinking about what happened, 
but I did not hesitate because I realized the value of what was about to be lost. And see, what the church of Sardis once took hold of so passionately, they casually allowed to slip out of their fingers. They'd become lax with it. And the challenge that's being given to them here is that with that same assertiveness, they make a decision to go back and lay hold of it again. There are some things that you may have carelessly let go of when it comes to relationship with God. And today you realize that you are starving and you miss it. And that is a good place to be if you recognize it. Because God is holding out his hand and it's time to aggressively take hold of it once again. And so now that you have it and you remember its value, we close by challenging you to hold to it firmly, as it says in verse 3. He says, go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Number five is this, get a grip Get a grip, church. To hold to it firmly means to watch over and to guard. When you're watching over and you're guarding something, you keep it close. You hold it close to you. Why? Because it's valuable to you. It's important. We were at a youth camp. I want to say this was two summers ago, but it might have been this last youth camp. And they have a high ropes course there. And... Um, I remember watching uh, a student come to the end, and at the end, the only way down is to jump. Like, there's not, like, this way to just easily climb down. Like, there, there's ladders in certain places, but then they'd have to go back over the obstacles again to get to them. So it's like, either you jump or you're going to be up there for a really long time. And so there was, this per- there was this kid up there getting ready to jump, and uh, she was scared, and so it was taking her a while. Well, I looked over, and the man that was holding the safety rope that was attached to her harness was a professional. He works uh, not for the camp, but for this company that comes and runs this, right? He's certified. He knows the safety protocols. And I see him. He's got just kind of this lax stance. He's just kind of like leaning back like this. He doesn't have his... You know, his, his knees bent, his butt down, like he's bracing for anything. And he's got this one hand on his rope. And he's looking at her like, oh, man, she's not going to jump. He turns to the left to say something to someone else, and she jumps. And she is falling fast, and the rope is slipping through his hand. He grabs it, and then he's yanked forward about four or five steps. And finally, she slows to a stop only a few feet above the ground. It scared me to death. And I realized something in that moment. He had been doing this so long, he got cocky. (laughs) He's like, I can do this blindfolded. I do this for a living. That's all I do. It's not like I have these complicated equations to work through every day. I hold a rope and make sure people don't die. And you could see that in his body language. You could see that in his approach. And because of this, he took his eyes off of what was important and he loosened his grip. He was not standing with his feet firmly planted and he wasn't focused on the mission that he had been given. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, it says this. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. 
mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Recognize this morning, church, that your commitment to God has a profound impact on every single one of us. See, that man held this girl's life in his hands and he treated it as if it was casual. This morning in prayer, God put upon my heart the young people that are in this room with us today. And what I believe he's saying is that many of them are slipping away because you and I have fallen asleep at our post. Because you and I have loosened our grip. We've let ourselves go. We've been flippant with our approach to things. We've just gone through the motions. And God wants to say, for the sake of the next generation, wake up. I'm sure you've heard this before. But what if the church was full of people just like you? Would it resemble the church that Jesus Christ established? What if everyone engaged in worship with, like you on a Sunday morning? What would the atmosphere be like? What if everyone attended as regularly as you attend? Would we have an empty building or a full building? What if everyone gave like you? What would the church be able to do? What if everyone served like you? Would the team show up on time? Would they take ownership of their role? Or would they sleepwalk through it? What if everyone talked like you? What would we be hearing? Complaints or compliments? Faith or skepticism? Blessings or curses? Life or death? You say, oh, but pastor, not everyone is like me. But what if you took that approach that you set the tone, no matter who you are, age, any demographic, you set the tone. I could just as easy look at the youngest person in this room and say, you set the tone. I could look at the oldest person in the room and say, you set this tone. Because the type of grip that you have and the way that you stand ready at, at attention uh, when it comes to the mission that God has given you, man, so many of us depend on you and your commitment. So what do we do? He finally says in verse 3 to repent and turn to me again. This whole, this whole passage here is just a call for repentance. Saying, come back, change your mind is what that word means. Change your mind, repent, change your mind. Don't think that way anymore. Because if you think that way, you're gonna do the things you're not supposed to do. But if you think this way, you're gonna do the things you're supposed to do. Change your stinking thinking. Because whatever's running through your mind that makes it, you think it's okay for you to sleepwalk through life, wake up. So much is at stake. And so we have to make a conscious decision to change the way we think and live. And remember that we're in a war zone. 
that we've been called to cross into enemy territory. We're not going to do that by just sleepwalking. So I don't know what that means for you. Maybe it's you better get your stuff together and get your quiet time with the Lord back. And you better fight to make that time happen. Maybe it's you better open up the word and read it for yourselves. Young people, if you wonder why church is boring, it's because you're not in this word yourself. God has so much that he wants to speak to you. Take those words and apply them to your life and then see what it's like coming to church. Whatever it is. Maybe it's I need to be more committed in the way that I serve. Maybe I need to show up to my meeting time on time, okay? Can your pastor say that to you? I love you so much. Get your butt to your meeting on time. I love you. I do, and I will always love you, even if you're late again next week, but come on. Seriously, we can do better than that. We're called to do better than that. And maybe you showing up on time is the difference between someone having an incredible encounter with God and them not because you weren't prepared. Do you understand what hangs in the balance? I don't care if you're a greeter, a kids worker, or you're on the worship team. What you have to do today is a task given to you not by Pastor Joe, but by God. Hopefully you guys will still love me after this, but if not, you'll know I love you because I'm not going to sugarcoat it. So the way we're going to close today is we're going to close at our tables. We have communion today um, and we have trays um, on both sides. Two tables over here, two tables over here. And your table host is going to close out our time today with you with communion. And so table host, I'm sure they already explained this to you, but just to be sure, um, there's an opening question on a piece of paper you were handed. I want you to first discuss that question. And then I would like you to read the scripture and lead your table through communion and close in praying for those things that we discussed that we've lost that God is saying it's time for you to take hold of it again. So there will be no formal dismissal. When your table is done, uh, have a great new year and, uh, and you can make your way home. Uh, but just be respectful of those that are still talking. Amen? So before we go into that, let me just pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for this church. I love this church. I'm honored to be the pastor of this church. And God, I so desire to see this church be everything that it was meant to be. It's not going to happen by taking a casual approach. And so, Father, I pray that the hard truth would be embraced by every single one of us, including myself, as I evaluate the areas of my life that I've allowed to fall asleep. And, Father, may we be willing to do the things necessary to be awakened because so much is at stake. So, Father, bless our conversation and our prayer time today. And I pray it leads to real life change because 2023 is a year of expectation where we're going to take new ground and we are going to drive the enemy back and we are going to rob hell of souls and make heaven fall. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Thank you.